0: hello hello welcome back to inspiring African travel this is James here and we are rattling through series 5 up to episode 3 today and we're quite excited about this episode because it involves quite an epic experience in East Africa have you ever dreamed of climbing to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania the summit of Africa, the world's highest freestanding mountain. Yep, that's what this episode is all about. So if this sounds exciting to you, then strap yourself in. Now, in 2013, a really good mate of mine called Oli Haas, I used to live in Munich and hang out with him a lot in Germany, he said to me, one day we need to climb that bloody Kilimanjaro. And to be honest, back then it's it had never figured in my mind as one of those things i wanted to do in my life and we hiked a lot when i was at school we um i went to school in kwaZulu natal in south africa and every year we used to do a significant three or four day hike up up in the drakensberg mountains and yet you know the the idea of climbing up kilimanjaro never really figured but as soon as he said it i said i'm in the idea of going with a group of mates for an attempt to hike to the top of Africa um, was just too good to refuse. So I was in. And we started as a big group. Um, Like many of these adventures, we were talking about it in a beer garden somewhere in Germany. And I think we we had a group of 12 very keen people. Um, But as the months went by and the flight tickets had to be booked and the training and the kit started to be purchased, the group size whittled down very very steadily and yeah it was a very very small group of three of us and I had all my kit and I was four months away from heading out to East Africa doing my my hiking training up the uh, hills of Kasani in northern Botswana up and down what we uh, dubbed Kasani manjaro um, it was good times and uh, ten days after arriving in Kilimanjaro Airport, um, we had an amazing adventure and I made it to the top. And it was a tough, a tough, tough climb. But it was definitely one of the most amazing things I've ever done in my life. I say that not because I reached the summit, but because of the camaraderie and the experience of different um, ecosystems and biospheres as you went up the hill. And just a challenge to take take your mind completely off your day-to-day life and focus on what you have to focus on. And in this episode, we're going to chat to a man by the name of Orca Lindstrom, spelt A-K-E, but pronounced Orca as in the killer whales. Um, he works for a company called Summit Africa, and they they also own a lodge, um, Lake Natron, um, in um, the northern part of Tanzania. And he's been to the top of Kilimanjaro many, many times. A very, very skilled mountaineer, a great guide, and a very passionate man about uh, East Africa and the whole of Africa. So a perfect interviewee to have on on Inspiring African Travel. He's going to share his tips and his insight um, about kit, which trails to do, and why Kilimanjaro is such an iconic mountain. But... We're going to also use this opportunity with Orca to talk about some of the amazing other beautiful treks you can consider doing in Africa. Um, other walks, other mountains. Hopefully, you'll come away with some real inspiration about Kilimanjaro. Our objective in this episode is to leave you thinking about a different way of planning your itinerary to Africa if you are an active person and if you enjoy walking hiking trekking whatever it is so as always um orcas details will be in the notes of this episode and any questions that you might have for him or for us please do get in touch i managed to catch up with orca as he was doing a massive mountain biking adventure around um around east africa so do excuse some of the noise from the bicycles and the shed and the crew fixing fixing their equipment but it was really, really great talking to him. I started off by asking Oka how many times he's actually summited Kili.
1: Definitely over 80 times. And then I've had the, the pleasure of being up there many, many more times just doing many different projects. So it, it's a home. I, I, feel, I feel like it's, it's home. When I'm up there in my sleeping bag in the cold, then it's probably one of my happy spots in the world. <laughs>
0: So when it comes to doing research about Kilimanjaro, one of the first ports of call, I guess, is the route and which route one should do. Um, Which is the best chance of getting to the top, the quickest, the most comfortable?
1: Kilimanjaro has six starting routes and three ways to summit. We're actually working on two brand new routes. Um, But for the time being, of the six, the most famous idea I guess, would be something like the Marengu route, which became the the normal route on Kilimanjaro. Once people started really hiking it on a regular basis, back in the 40s and 50s uh, through the 60s, then that route became popular. They put some huts in there eventually. And so that um, became quite popular. They used to sell even Coca-Cola up and down. And so it became known as the Coca-Cola route. But um, over time, more routes have opened up. and those other routes are camping routes and they generally there's you know there are options to see more of the mountain so Machame was one that opened up and became it was less visited at the time and that um, slowly became popular as people started to realize number one you could see more of the mountain but number two it ascended via Stella Point and so Closer to the summit, and the success rates were higher because the acclimatization profile um, was good. As a company, actually, we've been operating on the Lemosho route, which is a longer route right on the, the Western side. And so that ended up being a really beautiful route for us. And we do that over eight days. And so over time, people have really started to understand that more time at altitude means better acclimatization means a more comfortable climb, means a better success rate.
0: So to bring it all together, the main route, the most direct route to the top of Kili is the Coca Cola route, as they call it, um, or the morangu route, as he pointed out, the Machami route, and this is the route um, I did is actually much more scenic. And of course, more enjoyable um, because you'll get more opportunities to to see the scenery and the top of the mountain as you go along. The Le Morshaw route which is slightly longer eight days seven nights is really going to give you the best chance of acclimati- acclimatizing and getting to the top but of course you will be staying in tents okay everything other than the Marengu route the Coca-Cola route which has huts and cabins up along the way Obviously, the Inspiring African Travel team are much more in favor of tents, more authentic. But don't forget, of course, you do have porters and backup team, and they will set up your camp in its entirety. It is roughing it, but everything is sorted for you, so it's all good. Just a final point on your route planning. One thing that a lot of people think is as soon as you don't do the Coca-Cola route and you choose another route other than the Marangu route, that it's going to be far less touristy, obviously, and more exclusive. Um, And I just wanted to put that question uh, across to to Orca to get his opinion on on that and so that people can manage their expectations.
1: The mountain is now busy on pretty much all routes um, because it's just such an icon. So, That's where actually you can do one of two things. You can really start using unusual routes or unusual variations, or you can just be a bit more creative with um, the way that you book the trip, the days you start on. And there's a few little techniques like that, that we can certainly, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on that anyway. But at the end of the day, which routes do I think are super fantastic? Lemocho is brilliant on the Southern Circuit via Stella Point. It's a no brainer via the Northern circuit, you've got a bit more off the beaten track um, for the middle part of the itinerary and the latter part of the ice itinerary. So that ends up being really cool. And then if people are really pushed for time um, and just, you know, just want to do the mountain, so to speak, um, for the super fit, Umbwe, kind of straight up the mountain. And for mountaineers, go up the Western Breach. And then um, you can do that trip in around six or seven days. And so I think you'll get from the things I've said, there are options. Kilimanjaro has lots and lots of options, but if you really want to see them out and acclimatize, um, and enjoy the experience a little bit more, then Hey, I, I find it hard to suggest anything other than a Lemosho eight day trip.
0: Now, I, I just have to say on my experience of, of Kili, I, I did feel that it being one of the seven summits of the world and such a, an iconic destination, I, I did have preconceived ideas of, of pollution and, and, and being a little overrun by hikers and travelers. But I have to say that the whole experience from beginning to end was one of clean, organized, it was meticulous. It really was well-maintained in every aspect. You know, obviously slightly different, but something like Machu Picchu, which is obviously a um, a hike as well and, and, and something that I was lucky to do when I was in South America. Machu Picchu, you know, was completely overrun and um, comp- very touristic. And, uh, you know, although I'll never take away from my experience there, I have to say that Kili blew it out of the water. Now, I really didn't have a clue on what to get in terms of gear. What I did know is that Good boots um, were important. And obviously, like everyone, did my research and Googling and what have you. What I actually ended up doing is I did go to an outfitter, uh, a hiking specialist uh, who had experience with gearing people up to do big hikes around the world. Um, I put this question to Oka to talk, talk about what his most important tips were when it came to gearing up for Kili.
1: Yeah, that's it's it's a really good good thing to go over and also I feel like a lot of people that come to Kilimanjaro with regards to gear they just end up taking um, you know a few things that they have at home and then think they can rent some shoes locally and away you go um, now obviously you can do that and people do do it but it's one of the things that if you get decent gear then you should be able to use that for 10 years or, or at least five or six years on many adventures all over the place when you're hiking up to the summit that's kind of the crux of the whole thing um your feet are going to go through pretty much extremes of temperature and up at the top it's going to be roughly minus seven degrees um, centigrade you need to be able to fit a nice decent pair of hiking socks in the thick pair of hiking socks and everything needs to fit if you can. Comp- feet and those that go skiing and snowboarding and all that sort of stuff, um, will, you know, will understand this point. If you compress your feet, um, in cold environments, you can't get blood flow to them. And so if you can't get the blood flow there, then, um, your feet are going to get cold. Mm-hmm. So very simple. If you make sure that you know, your feet fit properly into the shoe with a hiking sock, um, and it's not squeezing any anywhere, then especially on the toes, then that's gonna mean you can wiggle your toes, you can keep warm, and then on the way down, you don't get blackened uh, uh, toenails. The outer shell is something that can really help everybody day to day. So waterproof hiking pants, a waterproof um, jacket. If they're, for instance, Gore-Tex, fabulous, but there are lots of different types and brands and makes out there. I got asked, I have been asked multiple times, do the fancy brands work significantly better than other brands? Um, and I would say that a really good quality jacket from some of the big manufacturers, um, you know, your Patagonia's, your Arc'teryx, things like that, North Face. They they generally those last a bit longer. And so I just find buying decent quality gear is a great investment that should last for a decade. A decent down mid layer is is a great thing to have. Um, a down mid layer with a hoodie is is a no-brainer, and then gloves. Again, little th- little things make a big difference. Um, I find a pair of gloves that I can wear every day when I'm hiking to keep the UV off more than anything. Pairs really well with um, a, you know a pair of mittens um, for the summit, and little things like that work very well together. Uh, I wouldn't ever skimp on sunglasses um Um, your eyes are just sensitive the uv is monstrous so do you want to skimp on you know do you want to get a cheap pair of sunglasses not really the core elements to your climb must work you don't want to have something fail so that waterproof jacket waterproof trousers and boots are just make sure those work
0: the guy that helped me get all the right gear for the summit was brilliant And I I have to say, I really lucked out because I just walked into the shop and asked someone for some advice. Uh, Maybe they they heard the words Killy and um, their best salesman was uh, stepped up. But um, I have to say, if if you are going to the shop to get kitted out, possibly make an appointment, find out that there's going to be someone who really knows what they're talking about because that'll really just help you get the absolutely right gear for you. I had to share my story with Orca, though, about um, one particular piece of equipment that this guy suggested I get and that I didn't. And you're probably never going to guess what it was. But he did say to me, um, a lot of people take um, toe warmers. And I was like, no, come on, dude. I'm not. (laughs) not, (laughs) What do you think I am? I'm not taking toe warmers. Mm -hmm. And on the very last night, um, you know, that last night where you you go to bed early and wake up after midnight to summit. I, I got minimal sleep because my toes were so freezing cold. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't know why I suffered so much. I just, all I could think about was that bastard in the shop telling me um, <laughs> that you should have put some toe warmers in there. Cause I was just thinking how nice that would have been. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. Basically just before we got to that camp, the snow turned, uh, the rain turned to snow and it was like, it was like that last night was like camping somewhere in the North Pole. It was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, the things that can happen on that mountain in terms of, you know, temperature and environment change and weather changes is just phenomenal. It's, it's, it's kind of brilliant. Um, so a, a really good tip. Here's another um, really useful one for everybody to consider. Um, your water bottles can really be your best friend. in that You know, in that scenario where you're feeling cold and your feet are cold, then, and my feet get cold all the time. Um, I have a 400 milliliter Nalgene bottle. Now that is a small bottle. Normally they're like a liter, 32 ounces, but the um, 16 ounce, um, roughly 400 milliliter bottle is a little piece of genius. Because in, when you're having dinner, you can just put some, some water, hot water in there from your thermos. You just put hot water in there and then you go to your sleeping bag and close it and throw that bottle right down by your, your, your toes. And it is absolute genius because of its size. It fits neatly into almost any jacket pocket on. And if your jacket's got an inside pocket then even better, and then you can put that water bottle um, in there and it will stay, you know, body temperature pretty much um, for the whole night. And so when you're going up to the summit, if you just want to have a little sip of of water, you just pull it out and it's a decent temperature. And, you know, you're not carrying something super bulky. And Mm. so you can just drink that. And then when you need to fill it up, you can get a bottle out of your backpack and top it up.
0: Yeah, just listening to that, those tips really couldn't be better. And the key element being, to reiterate, is a well-worn in pair of hiking shoes you do not scrimp or save on a pair of shoes the better they are the better your hike will be and of course a great waterproof jacket to keep the rain and 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 a very good quality warm warm jacket and so those are the things that you really want to make sure you get perfectly right that they're comfortable and that they work extremely well such a brilliant tip there a basic water bottle to keep your toes warm at night and yeah my camel bag back or I don't, I don't even know what they're called but you know what I mean um, it was brilliant um, for the whole hike um, just having a tube of water connected to your backpack meant that I was keeping well hydrated right throughout the the, the seven day hike um, which is so important when you're when you're out, when you're acclimatizing and making sure that you have plenty of fluids all the time on the summit morning um, the tube froze up and even though I was sold the Sort of insulator for the tube. It didn't work, and the, the the water froze up in the pipe, and so I didn't really have access to to water for the last part of my my trek, where when I when I really needed it and when I was struggling. So um, a little water bottle inside my jacket, as Oka mentioned, would have been absolutely brilliant. Keep that, and yeah, buy those toe warmers um, for your last night. If there's one thing that uh, one thing you can do. The inspiring African travel top tip of the episode. A lot of people will take some sort of medication for the altitude sickness, or let me just put it this way, uh, to prevent altitude sickness. So yeah, should you take medication is what I wanted to find out.
1: Um, it's, you know, taking um, acetazolamide, Diamox, it's, it's an interesting one you know, my level of training, I'm a wilderness first responder. I've been, I've been, uh, woofer trained for, um, 20 years. So there's probably limits to what I should say. People that take DimeWorks generally tend to have a bit of an easier time. And usually you don't, you don't, sometimes people come with some strange dosage recommendations that are super high and we mm. just don't see the need. Even if you're micro dosing at hundred was, is it a microdose? Perhaps not. One hundred and twenty-five milligrams twice a day, so one in the morning, one in the in the late afternoon. Um, we just find that people have a more comfortable trip, and you know, in my in my book, that's that can't be a bad thing. Um, that's a great thing, and so the altitude experience for for many people is not always that comfortable. Yes, if you take more time, generally that's going to work in your favor, and then on eight day trips, actually really, I could care less if people are taking Diamox or not, you're probably going to get to the top, but it's always going to make things a little bit easier, unless you're allergic to it, unless you, your body reacts in a way, you know, in a funny way that you're, you know, it doesn't work for you.
0: Yeah, altitude does some crazy things and never underestimate Kili. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough experience. Um, and don't ever push yourself really beyond your limits, your body will tell you and Anybody who is suffering um, should turn around and head back down. I know people who've summited uh, several times actually, um, uh, guides and and tour leaders who've taken guests to the top of Kili and then a few years later have suffered from AMS, uh, acute mountain sickness they had summited before. So your body can do different things. I have to say, I I really struggled on day four. Um, That was when we went just above 4,000 meters. um, And then you dropped down to sleep for the night. And I was feeling okay on the way up, but as we got to the summit of 4,000 meters and started heading down, I got sicker and sicker to the point where um, I really felt that that was the end of my trek. But I took all the advice of the team drank as much water as i could and tea and tried to get some food in and that is something that is hard when you're not feeling well um but you know i managed to get a few bars in and uh, and some bits and pieces yeah felt great in the morning these guys know what they're talking about so do your best to drink as much fluids as you can and rest when you need to pole pole is the key guys slowly slowly um pole pole in in swahili and that, that is indeed the truth. It's no point in rushing to try and get to camp early so that you can sit around and wait for other people to arrive. Take your time on the hike. Enjoy it. It's not a race.
1: It's a freestanding mountain. If things aren't right, if you're on the wrong end of the bell-shaped curve where you're super sensitive to altitude or something just didn't work out for whatever reason and you end up getting altitude sickness, uh, acute mountain sickness, AMS, hey, go down. It's always going to be there. Yes, it's a big investment, but at the end of the day, um, mountains like Kilimanjaro, if they're treated with respect, it doesn't have to be a dangerous mountain. And all of us, if we want to go back, if we really want that goal, but it didn't work out, have a look at what you did and go back and come and summit another day. It's a beautiful mountain, right? I mean, six, six distinct zones. And you, know, you, you can be at the bottom in places like West Kilimanjaro and see some of the biggest old tuskers the biggest old bull elephants in africa you can wander around with maasai and and learn about um, ethnobotany you can then walk up through the forests through the farmlands get into changing zones and smell the the rich rich um, fragrances of all the heathers get onto the mountain proper and get into a alpine desert and then touch a glacier up at the top what an experience and so if you if you go in with the with the mindset of of that that you're there to experience it and hey step on the roof of africa and, and touch the sign that's probably going to be the cherry on the top
0: i want to just quickly touch on seasons obviously big question is when the best time of the year is to summit kili now if you listen to our previous episodes on primate trekking you'll know that the short rains are in October, November. And then the main rains in east africa are in march april may um, so it's not conducive to the best time for chimp and primates sightings but obviously hiking to the summit of kili you know you're not you're not looking for any you know of the migration or any particular animal you're just trying to get to the top of the mountain it doesn't make a huge difference but obviously if you're there in the rains you're gonna get uh, a lot more rain but it's a mountain and Weather can change irrespective of the time of year. We hiked at the end of the short rains in December and yeah, we had a lot of rain and as I mentioned, turned, in, turned into snow right at the top. But we got plenty of dry patches, plenty of good views of the, of the, of the peak of, of Kili and we had really good gear. So if you've got good gear, the rain is not going to bother you. Um, and one advantage of going at the end of the rains, so if you go in June or, or December, because of the rains prior to that, there's going to be lots of snow on top of the mountains. So it really does make it beautiful um, and impressive. So yeah, the long and short of it is, you know, make sure that it fits in with your overall itinerary. And yeah, middle of, middle of the rains, it's going to be a little wetter, but any time of the year, doesn't really matter well i hope that's given you some really good insights um on on kilimanjaro preparing for it and inspiring you to do it but i wanted to use this opportunity for us at inspiring african travel quite often you know the third or the fourth highest is often more beautiful and more exclusive and potentially more of a rewarding experience
1: the continent really has massive amounts to to offer i think one of, the, one of the key things in this region is that with all the big mountains, um, you, you can find a similar format to Kilimanjaro insofar as you can go in and have a team and you know, be supported. And it's essentially, you know, the formula works fairly similarly insofar as you, you end up having a lot of porters and crew and you're supporting a lot of people. You get to see an amazing mountain. And so that's a great formula because of how much it really gives back to the local economy and the richness of the experience that you have. Right. So that, you know, that, that can kind of work in so many different ways. So Mount Kenya definitely can offer that if you're going to go and just trek to Point Lanana, but actually Mount Kenya has a lot of different options insofar as it has technical options as well. So you can end up, having a group of people where one person is a technical climber and then a bunch of other people are not, they're just trekkers. They just want to do a bit more of a Kilimanjaro thing where you're really just trekking to the top of a peak. And Lenana Point, Lenana offers that for sure. But then Mount Kenya has got a lot more to offer. You can really get off the beaten track. There are routes that you can go, go whether nobody, I just came off a route where literally no one's we we were following buff, buffalo trails so there are definitely a lot of buffaloes that have been where we went but not not a lot of people um and you end up being able to just wander around these beautiful landscapes experience things that um are really really great to experience time away from lots of other people time away from devices you can really get into spending um a lot of time just being out for instance fly fishing those that love fly fishing you know Mount Kenya, unbelievable. Just in the variety of, of fly fishing, you can do brown and rainbow trout um, and really do a, do a whole itinerary around that. You can do whole itineraries around flora. You can do, it just a wonderful variety. What a playground for people. And then you come off Mount Kenya and you have you can see the big five in under three hours in, in old Pajeta. Um, and so in terms of richness, of habitat and landscape wow what a destination
0: oh mount kenya just does sound so beautiful um it seems much more dramatic peaks and epic sceneries than you would get on kili and of course a destination that is ultimately more off the beaten track and and ready for you to explore and talking about off the beaten track the ruins mountains um which border the drc and uganda is home to um margarita peak which is the second highest peak in in africa and right on the equator is uh home to glaciers and jagged peaks dramatic hardcore mountain range this is um this sounds like an amazing destination to me so wanted to use uh our opportunity with Orca to talk us through this area.
1: Uh, Margarita is an amazing peak and place to get to. So the Ruinsuris are, they're a collection of mountains. It's a whole range. It's actually quite technical. A lot of them are are fairly technical, slippery. They're the mountains of the moon. They get a lot of rainfall. There's a lot of moss, a lot of bogs. And so kind of hard to get in there sometimes. Really cool destination, and it's the third biggest peak. So it's behind Mount Kenya. Mount Kenya five one nine nine. Margarita Peak is five one zero nine, something like that. So I think Mm -hmm. it's at number three. Anyway, you get up there, and it's a beautiful place. I heard wild chimpanzees on the way up. I went up the route that is set up by the community, so all the all the money goes to the local community. We were hiking over over the Margarita Glacier. Um, up to the peak it was an amazing experience you know some proper mountaineering sort of thing you crampons on ice axe rope teams of three proper inverted commas um mountain experience that i that i had had on africa and it was absolutely beautiful now the ugandan side is fine accessible there are three different routes you can go up that side there's a hut hut route that we usually combine with camping so that we can get to some more interesting places. The other side is in DRC and in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And on that side, it would be amazing to go up that side for for it's a shorter access route for a start. And so, and also a little bit drier, but the security is an issue. Mm. Once it stabilizes, then the combination of lowland gorilla, highland gorilla, active volcano near Ongo, and then, doing some proper climbing all the way up to margarita in in two weeks i mean talk about a might. and you know for anybody else who's listening to this podcast the adventure world then keep your eyes on the prize with that one it's Mm. if it stabilizes and anything anybody can do and i think tourism done well is a fantastic stabilizer money to local people if you get Mm. a job then you know you don't really need to be engaged in armed conflict or anything like that So. It's one of those things that I sincerely hope over the long term DRC really stabilizes and tourism can make a, a really positive impact. That would be the adventure and an adventure grand slam, you know, wildlife and adventure grand slam for me. Just being able to see all of that geology and, and meet people and see gorillas and uh, just what a destination. But for those that that want to see the mountains of the moon, go to Uganda. Go and hike. It's amazing. Bring some gumboots.
0: Yeah, so there you go. I mean, it's certainly a much more specialist climbing destination. So um, if you're an inexperienced mountaineer but still fit, you can certainly do it as long as you're with a proper guide or a team. Um, and, yeah, the, the the DRC side opening up where, as he says, you're able to combine trekking and hiking with with epic wildlife like gorillas on, a, on an experience like that and also blending it in with supporting the local community away from poaching and, and, and conflict it really does sound like the ultimate travel destination so let's hope that that DRC route really does open up um, because I will be there in a flash and talking of, of wildlife and cultural hikes in Africa my last chat to Oko was about the other projects they've been working on um, in the Great Rift Valley. Now, if you like the idea of, of, of hiking across active volcanoes, salt pans, wildlife-rich grasslands, a- a- and also discovering, you know, ancient civilizations, um, these hikes that you can do, the Great Rift Valley treks, sound absolutely amazing. So you can learn more about these these different track options on the website, which is... Um, summits-africa.com so let's find out a little bit more about these great rift valley tricks
1: one of the areas that's a little less visited in northern tanzania is lake natron now that area kind of a bit of a marginalized community um and people just generally didn't you know it doesn't get get onto people's radars and yet for us locals then lake natron is a must it's it's just if you haven't been to Natron, you've missed something. And the reason for that is that it is an extreme place. It's very hot. And then there are things like waterfalls and rock climbing and active volcano, Aldonia Lengai, active volcano, the Masai mountain of their god, Enkai, that um, literally you can walk up to the top of that thing, hardest one day trek in Africa, FYI, um, and look inside and, you get there early enough you can even do time lapses and get the glowing lava and things like that but it's the lowest eruptive temperature of any volcano in the world it's about 500 degrees centigrade and the ash that it pumps out and every now and again it does these crazy beautiful plinian style eruptions where the the ash goes kilometers into the air and falls on the serengeti it is the engine of the serengeti migration that ash is so nutrient rich Mm. that once it falls and the grass grows from from that nutri- all those nutrients, then those lactating wildebeest and everything else in between all the other um, plains game, they really benefit from all those nutrients and then are able to start their trek north once again. And so talk about a crazy, amazing place. It's Visually, it's mind-blowing. Golden colors of all the grasses and then the blacks of the soil and grays and dust and wind and you know harsh how how do people even survive there and then hey now if you combine that with a trek up to ngorongoro or you trek down from the ngorongoro highlands lush green fertile just rich verdant greens and then getting down to there um hiking down the great rift valley you know you can see the great rift valley from space it's that big um you're walking through those environments with an active volcano as a backdrop as well well it's, a, it's an unbelievably scenic setup. But there's not a huge risk of big animal encounters either. You, you probably may see some buffalo up in Ngorongoro, but at the end of the day, you can wander through these habitats and you, you don't really have those worries. So it really lends itself well to you know, family groups that want to do something active. And okay, fine, you can go to a national park, you can go for a three-hour walk, and you can have lots of game encounters that, you know, you may perceive as being safe or otherwise. But this is not that. This is trekking through African landscapes in in all their, their magnificent you know, magnitude and beauty. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll meet people on the way.
0: I was just and about so again, to say, presumably you meet local cultures along the way and local villages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so that that
1: trek from Ngorogoro down to Natron, you're combining two amazing Um, places empakai very beautiful crater lake green down to dust and harshness and unbelievable survival stories down in natron with that alkaline lake and and springs bubbling out of the ground where we can jump in and enjoy and then from there you can hike across to the Gold mountains which are on the eastern side of serengeti and then once you get into those habitats and sometimes the year the migration is pumping through there you get just wildebeest as far as you can see and then get into those gorges. Now, if, if you fail to find an arrowhead or at least a flint of obsidian, then you're, you're really, you're missing a trick or two. One of the places that we go wandering through, you'll see fossils. I mean, fossils and fossils and fossils and fossils. So all of this millennia of, of history, our history and, and, and many other species besides is laid out in front of you, you just wander through it and then you see cave paintings and people, Maasai trying to farm and herd and, you know, so it's it's this ever changing life cycle of, of everything is laid out before you, you don't even need a, a, you know, a mega guide to take you into it, you're, you're gonna live it and then get through that to Alderweire Gorge, one of the cradles of mankind. And there's a great museum there where it's all laid out chronologically and you can, really go through it in a lot of depth and talk about a rich experience i mean if if i we, we literally just did this trip with with my five-year-old son um and he doesn't get a lot of it yet but boy oh boy does he know how to he know he knows what an arrowhead looks like um and he really really loves all the different rocks and and is really getting into that side of things now skip forward 10 years then it's just going to be an education center for him quite frankly
0: okay so the the takeaway from this if you if you want to do a solid one week hike um in in this great rift valley area that you can actually combine um several of the itineraries that they've got on the website it sounds honestly absolutely epic Uh, you, you know the rich verdant vegetation of the the empakai crater and then going through you know these rural remote maasai tribes learning about their way of life and actually learning a lot about the the and seeing the earlier traces of the our ancestors, the hominids, um, and you, you could even catch the the wildebeest migration if you if you lucky enough in your in your planning. So to me, it it blends to what would be a really fantastic experience in East Africa. And what I really love the sound of is Lake Natron, which sounds like an absolute gem with its flamingos and the Mount Lengai. Volcano as a backdrop. Um, and I don't know if you heard him slip it in, but, um, orca dubbed dubbed it the hardest one day trek in Africa. Um, so if you can manage to haul your ass up, um, to the top of that, uh, you'll be able to see an active volcano. It all just sounds too cool to be honest. And, um, and I hope you've found this really inspiring. The point I think is that you get a totally different appreciation of a destination and its people when you're on a on a hiking trip. And I think experiences like this are really undervalued in Africa. Yep, this podcast was aimed around Kilimanjaro to give you, you know, insider's tips and advice on it. And I hope you've come away with, with that. But uh, we wanted to hook hook you in um, to inspire you to consider a different kind of trip to Africa than the traditional vehicle safari. And, and that is how many, many travel trips go in east africa and all over africa you know you arrive at the airport your guide meets you you jump into a four by four and you travel across from wildlife area to wildlife area but you know you don't often get that chance to be on the ground spending long periods of time you know slowly taking in your surrounds and and the local community and you're just not going to get that experience when you're whizzing around on on a four by four or flying from place to place on a flying safari, so we really think these types of hiking trips are the future. Anyway, what a great chap Orca is, and I think the rest of the staff and the backup crew couldn't couldn't hold back any longer as uh, bikes and tools started to clatter around. But hopefully, you really enjoyed this conversation and and felt his passion for the region.
1: Yep, and uh, you know, I'm so so grateful. To, to be able to do what I do and it's it's so rewarding to be out here so I'm just I'm really grateful to be living this life and, and doing what I do so uh, thanks for for engaging with us and um, putting some of this info out there it, you know it really helps us and I really encourage people to take a look at these things and and get off the beaten track a little bit even if it's just for a few days on on an itinerary hey it's it's special to be away from it all. <laughs>
0: Okay, mate. Good luck with the rest of the bike tour. Eh? Stay safe.
1: Yeah, I'll uh, keep safe yourself and uh, be in touch. Thanks, man. Cheers, James. All right, mate. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: If you want to learn more about what we've been chatting about in this episode, please do jump onto our webs- website, inspiringafricantravel.com. Uh, their camp in Lake Natron. Um, you can find out more about that on um, lakenatroncamp.com. Um, and that f- that particular camp forms a part of several of those hiking trails that we were talking about in the Great Rift Valley. If you want to book with these guys and get them to plan one of your trips you need to contact an African tour operator and ask about them um, they don't take direct bookings from any travelers so any any renowned African travel company will know about these guys um, and be familiar with them and be able to book them for your for your Kili trek or One of these amazing great rift valley adventures thank you so much for listening to this episode my biggest takeaway is really that we think active holiday adventures are the way forward and honestly can't think of anywhere more inspiring than africa for adventures like kilimanjaro mount kenya or or rift valley adventures and walks please do share this podcast if you've loved it if you found it useful and fun send it to somebody keep spreading the word and yeah for the next episode we're going to stay in tanzania and venture off to a little gem tucked away in the warm turquoise waters of the indian ocean just off zanzibar so that's next up on inspiring african travel Uh, for now it's cheers for me thanks for listening and see you again in a couple of weeks